I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Are you worried about somebody you love a lot? Are you disappointed or upset by their choices or like your emotions revolve around whether they're doing well or not? Then detaching with love is the key to feeling grounded, guilt-free, and at peace. And today I'm going to teach you my three steps to loving detachment. So stay tuned. I'm Dr. Abby Metcalf, and I'm a psychologist, number one Amazon bestselling author, TEDx speaker, and all-around relationship maven. With over 30 years of experience helping people create connection, joy, and ease in all their relationships. What's my secret? Well, besides being totally hilarious, I help you think differently so you can approach your relationships in a completely new way. I'm the best deal in town because the tools I teach apply to all your relationships, which allows you to simplify your life and find the confidence, calm, and deep love you've been craving. Combining my hands-on experience and all the latest research, I've created actionable tips and tools you can apply quickly and easily to create lasting change in all your relationships today. So let's get to it. You're back. I'm so happy you're back. Hello, hello. If you don't know that I'm Dr. Abby Metcalf by now, then we have some issues. Woo, today is big because I'm doing something new today. At the end of the podcast today, I'm going to be answering someone's email. And uh, you can email me at abby at abbymedcalf.com and, you know, with a question you have that you want answered. And what I'm doing is I'm not, uh, I'm not going to, like this person didn't want their name used. And I, I actually emailed with them back and forth a little bit to make, and so I'm, I'm just going to give the general, very general, which anybody could uh, identify with. But if you want your exact question asked, you can just say that in the email, but I'm going to err on the side of not sharing people's personal, you know, your name even, or anything. I'm going to err on the side of not sharing that unless you make it explicitly clear that's okay. But today at the end of the podcast, I'm going to be sharing really about uh, questions about parenting teens and uh, specifically around some drug issues and stress. So I'm going to be uh, coming in, you know, just for like 10 minutes at the very end, answering that question, which is very hard to do by email. <laughs> and so if you have one again, you can write in and I will answer it on the air. There you go. And I'll be doing it at, again at the end of podcast. So if you don't feel like listening to it, you don't have to. And if you want to, you can, you know, get in there. And I'm going to ask that you, if you haven't yet, that you check out my YouTube channel. I'll link to it on my podcast page, but you could also go to YouTube and type in Abby Metcalf PhD. That's my thing. And you can find me and I'd really appreciate you subscribing. We are looking to get over a thousand subscribers and I need people to subscribe so that, you know, you know how that is. The algorithm finds it differently. And, and also there's lots of people who don't like listening to podcasts. They don't, you know, want to listen to me. I don't know why. And would much rather watch a short video. And all the videos are short. They're 10 minutes or less. And uh, they're really just meant, you know, I go 
I go into some tips and obviously they're a broad brushstroke. They're not like what you get on the podcast, but it can be a great thing if you really like a podcast and you have somebody in your life who won't listen to it, you can go to the YouTube channel and search and uh, no doubt you will find a, a video that they might watch that would introduce the topic uh, that way. So how do you like that? Okay. So please, please go subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. Um, and let's get to it. This is, woo, people, listen to me. Listen to me, you. This is big. I get probably more questions about loving detachment than just about anything. And I had this wonderful conversation. I have a, a, a dear, dear, close, close best friend. Um, I'm going to uh, out her, Stephanie Bearspoden. She's a um, another therapist and um LCSW here in Northern California. And she's amazing. Probably one of the best therapists I've ever worked with in my 35 years. And also I can get to count her as she's also an amazing friend. And we went out to dinner a couple weeks ago and we started talking about loving detachment. And she's like the queen of this. She, she teaches this quite a bit. So I'm going to be integrating. I just loved her take on some of this. And I've been teaching this for many years. So it was so nice to have a breath of fresh air and another way to talk about it. So I'm really excited today. So even if you've heard me talk about it before, uh, this is going to be different. And I think really bring home what, what it's about and what really why you want to start doing this in all your relationships. And this isn't just about being codependent. This is about, you don't have to be codependent to want to lovingly detach. Um, and I'm going to explain to you what it is in a second. What, what, what the hell am I talking about? Um, codependency often comes into play here that we are, you know, more worried about others than ourselves, but there's lots of other reasons that you need to lovingly detach. It's not just about being codependent. It's really about what I was talking about. If you have any relationship where you walk away feeling guilt or just not at peace, you know, not peaceful about it. So that could be a boss or a coworker or a friend or an aunt or your sister or mother, whoever. Um, I named a lot of women there. Men can bug you too. Okay. <laughs> so whatever that is, if you're having those feelings in any relationship today is seriously going to help you. Even if you did one of the things, the three things I'm going to tell you, the kind of three steps that I look at. So, okay. So let's start with what loving detachment actually is and isn't. I'm just going to briefly do this and we're going to jump into the steps. Today's going to be, I'm going to try to make it a little quicker than usual <laughs> um, so that we can get to the questions at the end. So there are, cause there's a lot of myths about loving detachment. I want that I definitely, and the biggest one I want to dispel right now that loving detachment is not tough love. It's not, I don't even, I'm not hundred percent sure what tough love always is, but I know it's not loving detachment because really loving detachment is, is much less harsh. It's more flexible. It's not so black and white. And that's what always has appealed to me about it. Tough love feels like you, you know, lay down the law and that's it. And no matter how much it hurts and loving detachment is love. <laughs> it's love. So that's why you don't feel guilty. And that's why, you know, you can move through those yucky feelings. Uh, and I found often over the years that people who were kind of subscribing to tough love, uh, realize that they, and they were having a hard time doing it, it's because, you know, it's not, I don't know that, yeah. Anyway, if you do tough love and it works for you, God bless, you're probably not listening right now. So uh, I'm all about the loving detachment. And there's basically three steps to understanding it and learning how to do it consistently. And I'm going to just go over those right now. And the three are that you have to understand your own motives you have to learn acceptance and you have to create clear boundaries. And I'm going to talk about boundaries in a whole new way today that I hope you really understand differently. Uh, so again, I'm really excited because I, I think you're just going to love, and I know I teach this to my clients and they do really well with it. So I feel like you will too. Okay. So, and right now, so get yourself centered. What are you thinking right this minute? Right this minute, are you noticing you're feeling a little anxious or worried? Are you going to feel judged? I'm not judging you. I love you. I mean that every time I say I love you. And I hope you can hear that. I love you. I'm not judging you. This isn't about that. So don't judge yourself. Don't, oh, I wish I'd done it differently. Or uh, No, no, we're not regretting. We're not anything. We are just moving forward. So notice yourself even right now as I go into step one, which is understanding your motives, which you got to get centered to know. So again, loving detachment comes from love based emotions, hence the love in the name. And when I think of love-based emotions, uh, you know, the biggies that come back 
come up for me are, you know, compassion, openness, kindness, gentleness, willingness, all that good stuff. And when you're not lovingly detached, so that's how you feel, right? That's what's coming from with loving detachment. When you're not lovingly detached, when you're not quote unquote doing it right, let's say, or you're not in it the way I want you to be, it's coming from a fear-based emotion. So, you know, our anxiety about something, our guilt, our helpless feelings, all that. And I, you know, I, I, I can really talk from the heart about this one because I am parenting teenagers (laughs) and, uh, it's a lesson in loving detachment. I have to tell you, parenting teenagers is a lesson in loving detachment. So, you know, my son, Max, I've talked about him before. He, he, the boy just doesn't take school seriously. I love him so much. I do. I love him. I love him. And he's, and I'm raising a good kid. He is not, and I always say he's not an asshole yet. You know, he, every year that goes by, he's 17. He'll be 18 in August. Every year that goes by that he's not a jerk. I'm pretty happy. He's really a, a lovely human. And I want to shake him hard because he is not doing well in school and does not put much effort into schoolwork and really isn't, of course, so that, you know, isn't doing well. So that brings up all my stuff, right? Come on, bossy Jewish mother who, who's got a friggin' PhD who, you know, come on, <laughs> you know, schooling was my way out was the the answer. And it's the one thing that I, you know, really always sort of had, even through my drug addiction and other things and my misery, um, because I knew, I knew it would offer opportunities for me. And when I'm watching my son, my little 17-year-old boy, make choices that I know are limiting his future choices. I, the research says it, I say it, everything says it, that, you know, that he's limiting what could be so many choices for him by making this choice not to work hard right now. And and he's decided in his brain that he's not good at school and that's just not for me. And, you know, he's, you know, so he can cop out easily. See all my judgment. I know I'm judging. I'm judging. I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to be teaching you loving detachment. All right. So I'm going to practice it right now. <laughs> so, so I feel all that, right? And I feel guilty and I feel like a shitty parent that I haven't been able to figure out the key to getting him motivated for school. And when I say we've tried everything, we haven't sent him to military school. It's the only thing we haven't done. We have tried everything, every, you know, therapy and tutoring and private school and public school. And, uh, you know, we've had him tested and we've tried, you know, giving him things. We've tried taking away things. We've, there's, there's just, you might imagine, right? Uh, we've run the gamut on what we've tried and nothing has worked. Nothing has changed his mind or changed what's happening. Uh, sometimes things change in the short term, but nothing has really changed in the long term. So, um, I, so, I have to continually work on lovingly detaching from what Max is doing, from these choices he's making. It doesn't mean I don't still actively parent my kid, okay? I actively parent the hell out of this kid, (laughs) okay? I don't know if I, you know, of course I do. But parenting is a lot more than, you know, telling kids what they're doing wrong and that they shouldn't do this or should do this. Matter of fact, I think that shouldn't be much in parenting at all. So it means that I I keep checking in with my own anxiety, my own fear of his future, and make sure that that's not what's driving my thoughts, feelings, and actions with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. I can become very easily controlling, uh, you know, frustrated, angry. And what happens when I speak to him from that place is we have less communication, more digging in on his side. And really a worsening of our relationship, right? He, he stops trusting me because he feels like I'm always trying to control him or manipulate him. And that is going to be worse for him to not have a parent that he trusts, right? Or, uh, you know, because obviously his dad does the same stuff, you know, but I'll, I'll just speak for me. So that's the last thing he needs. We all know that's the last thing our kid needs. Yet our frustration and our all that stuff is driving the conversation. So I have to get in touch with my motives all the time. And, you know, again, I'm, I trace that back to not feeling like, like I'm, I did enough as a parent. I should have done this earlier. I should have done that. Um, you know, you get the idea, right? It's, it's my own insecurities that end up driving the bus. What's going to be later? You know, I see him in a box living under a bridge, you know, with nothing. 
it's, I go to, you know, my own negative thinking, I go to these crazy places instead of really, you know, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. So, uh, but so that's not good. So I have to understand my motives when I'm, uh, connecting or when I'm trying to connect with him. What is this coming from? What is all this doing that I'm trying to control? And now another thing, another motive you might have is uh, low self-esteem. And that's certainly, again, linked to my feeling like a crappy parent, but um, sometimes, but that might be your motivator too. And maybe you only feel good when you're feeling needed by others. You got to check in with that. Maybe you're so busy and saying yes to everything and helping everyone because that's the only way you feel good in the world. Uh, but I want to remind you that, you, you know, it, it's fine. I, I really love when a client is doing well. I mean, who, who wouldn't? It feels good. I'm not going to lie. It feels good. And I don't own it though. I know that it's the client's work because I got to tell you, I, I say the same stuff to a lot of clients. Some of them do it, some of them don't. <laughs> and so it's, you know, I can't own the win because I also can't own the loss. You know, I, I, if someone doesn't get it and isn't doing well, I definitely um, feel responsibility in that relationship, but I don't feel more than the other person, right? That's again, that codependency, who's working harder kind of thing. And so feeling good, that's okay. We're allowed to feel good when people do well. We're, I'm allowed to feel good if I, you know, donate something in to, to the online auction at my kid's school and it brings in a lot of money. That's great. It makes me feel, that's good. It's okay. But if you're over controlling someone, but you know, if it's in a person and you're, and you're over controlling them, uh, you know, overly controlling them, if you're infantilizing them, that's kind of what you end up doing is treating them like, you know, an infant or you're protecting someone else. You're protecting them from like, I'm trying to do with Max. I'm trying to protect him from these future choices, from this future that he's creating. But when we go overboard with that stuff, you're really, I'm effectively, you're effectively telling them that you don't believe in them. So, when I get into that crazy space with Max, I, I, and I take over his life or try to, I am telling him, I don't believe that he can take over, that he can uh, man the wheel. And that's really a problem. You're, you're really telling them that, them that they can't make it on their own and that they need you. You're really, you're subtly undermining them ever standing on their own. And and here's the part that might be most difficult to hear that might be happening is you might be doing this on purpose, uh, unconsciously, un not consciously. You're not consciously doing that. You would never hurt someone you love it, it, like that. It's not what I'm talking about. But we sometimes want others dependent on us to give our own lives worth and meaning or, you know, so that we don't feel guilty or so that we don't have to focus on our own lives because we're so busy with their lives. Um, again, obviously, you would never consciously hurt someone you love, but your unconscious is very sneaky and often has its own agenda, I will tell you, at least mine does. So I just want you to th remember that every step you, every time you step in to take care of someone else's life or their choice, you deprive them of the opportunity to accomplish something and feel good about it. That's what you're doing. And I know this is hard if you have, let's say, um, someone in your life who has has a mental illness or a drug dependence or, you know, something that, uh, or, you know, a kid or your kid, you know, so, you know, kids don't have brains that are fully functional. They don't. So there, I get it. You know, you're, this is where, why I love loving detachment because it's not so black and white. It's just not, it's not so, you know, um, one or the other. It, it's not just lay down the law and you have to deal with it because there are so many nuances to life. There are so many pieces. But I will tell you that the vast majority of times when I feel like I have to question people's motives aren't because someone's mentally ill. Um, it's because they've, they're feeling guilty. They feel guilty as a parent. That comes up a lot. They're anxious. They're worried about the other person. They're worried about how it will reflect on them. Something like that. That it's actually very selfishly motivated on a, a deeper level. And I, I say that with all the love. You know, again, I really love you. I'm not judging you. And I'm always going to speak straight to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. So, and sometimes that's enough when I've said that to people, that's actually been enough to finally, when I've told a parent that they're being selfish with their adult child by deciding how they should live and what they should do and trying to manipulate that, uh, it's finally gotten them to stop doing the thing they're doing because they they do love their kids. They, they don't want to be doing that. 
So, well, so, okay. So the bottom line before I get into the, and I'll give you a little tip for this, but the bottom line is fear never helped any relationship. <laughs> I say it all the time. And your own fear-based emotions, you know, guilt, shame, worry, anxiety, resentment, anger, helplessness, insecurity, they're not going to help your any relationship you're in. You can't be in a love relationship. And I mean, any kind, I don't mean just romantic partner. I mean, love anywhere, any relationship you're in that's based on fear. It doesn't work ultimately. They don't pan out. So really check in with that. Uh, And my tip for this is simple, you know, get mindful, check in with your feelings often. That's what you got to do. Start with how you're feeling when you have these interactions, just like I did uh, just a moment ago with you, I said, wait, stop. How are you doing right now? Right this minute. And actually do it again right now, right now. How are you feeling as you're listening to me? Do you feel, oh, I'm feeling judged. I, I feel anxious. I feel excited. Oh my gosh. I feel relieved. I feel, I don't know what you feel, but notice what it is right now. Check in. And there's thoughts attached because we feel the way we think. So if you're not sure how you feel, think about what you were just thinking about. What were you thinking about what I was saying? And that'll let you know uh, often what that feeling might be. So you got to get mindful um, and really, again, getting your moments of things. So are you impatient, you know, controlling, again, anxious, guilt-ridden, whatever it is, you got to notice that. And for me, it's it's pretty simple just to notice if I'm having a fear-based emotion once I check in. And, uh, you know, you can also practice the next best feeling thought if you notice that, which I just did a podcast on, so you can listen to that. I've got a great YouTube video on ways to quick, uh, to make mindfulness a consistent habit and I'll link to that on the show notes page. Or again, you can uh, go to YouTube, Abby Metcalf, PhD, mindfulness, and stuff will pop up that easy. So, uh, and then you can subscribe to my YouTube page while you're over there. (laughs) Either way, I want you, you really, you got to get your mindfulness in check so you can notice the why behind what's, you know, what you're doing. All right. Step two is don't just love, accept. I know. Accepting what our loved ones do (laughs) can be really hard. Hence my share about my son. I, okay. And it happens to all of us. This, and we don't realize that we're not accepting. Like I have to accept Max for the decisions he's making, for, for who he is. In other words, he is deciding he's not good at school. He is deciding these things. It doesn't mean I don't work on it. It doesn't mean that. But it means I start from a place of acceptance, that I don't rage against the machine, that I'm not constantly trying to change him as a person, that I'm really trying, seeking to understand what's going on. Um, and I'll tell you, I so I recently, I spoke to a, a client who was really upset uh, she has, uh, she's a little older than me. She has uh, adult children and she was really mad because she has a daughter who makes uh, uh, to her, what she says is a ton of money. I don't know what that means, but she says she makes a ton of money. And I guess the brother doesn't, one of the, she has two, there's two boys, but the one brother, I guess, doesn't do very well financially and has been, you know, he's the the troubled child, shall we say. And uh, this client makes a lot of excuses for this son and she's given him lots of money over the years to her own detriment and all their things, right? Has been trying to control this boy for a long, you know, get this boy on track for a long time. And the brother asked the sister for money for help. And I think help in getting a job, as I recall, something like that. Um, or or putting, oh, it was, I'm sorry, it was being a reference for him for uh this company he was applying to and the sister is in that business. And so he thought that'd be a really good reference. And they have last names and he thought he, you know, he's like, well, just be a reference. And she said, no. She's like, number one, I'm not giving you a reference because you're a crappy worker. You've quit every job you've ever had in two months. I'm so not putting my name on the line for you. And she didn't want to give him this money to pay his rent or whatever it was. And the mother was furious. She was really upset and she went on and on about, you know, how she raised her kids to be more thoughtful and generous and to be there for one another and how this son has had some hard knocks and his sister should be more compassionate because she's had life easier. I mean, she went on and on. And, you know, I had to talk to her. I had to give her some real talk about getting out of the middle, number one, of this adult relationship. If you're in the middle of an adult relationship, 
you, no, no, no. You don't get to be a middle adult. I don't care if they're your kids. Uh, that's between them. That's what they're doing. It is not about you, right? It is not about you. So, but, and that I also had to talk to her about acceptance. Her daughter's allowed to do what she wants with her money. And to also accept her son, you know, accept that this guy doesn't need to be saved all the time, that he will figure it out. He will figure it out. Um, you know, I had a, uh, another client, um, years ago who, uh, she had an alcoholic brother and, uh, would, and she and, uh, her other sibling and her brother, um, her other brother would pay, were paying for this brother. They kept giving him money every, every time he asked. And he was, you know, in his forties and he's asking for money and they're paying his rent. And it, it went on for years. And he had like, I guess, kind of sucked the mom dry of money. And it was bad, you know, it was pretty bad. And he was a hope to die alcoholic, this poor, poor man, this poor guy. I mean, I felt terrible, but was making, you know, was, was refusing treatment, would not go. And I was really, I counseled them for a long time. I even worked with her brother and her, uh, counseling her to stop giving him money that if he was ever going to go get treatment, it was going to be because he had no other choice. If he had all these choices, if they kept paying his rent, you know, that that wasn't going to work. And I said, if you're going to pay for anything, tell him that you'll pay for treatment, tell him that you will pay for him to get help, but not to keep, you know, drinking. And, um, he lives in a cold state. I don't remember which state, but like Michigan or something, you know, he, he lives in a, a place that's very cold, Wisconsin, something. Um, and they, this sister and brother were terrified that this brother, this alcoholic brother was going to end up, you know, dead, you know, from freezing and he needs a place to live and da, da, da. And I just, I was very clear with them. I said, you know, he will figure it out. He will figure this out. But what you're doing isn't helping him. It's not helping. What you're doing is not helping. We know this. You've been trying for years. You've been trying every different tact of it. And not only is it not helping, he's getting worse. And he did. He got worse and worse and worse. He used to be able to kind of keep a part-time job and, you know, and it got worse and worse. He was just becoming more and more unraveled. And they finally stopped with the money. And, um, and he, he, by the way, he wasn't talking to them much anyway. He was pretty much only calling when he needed something, but he's pretty much stopped talking to them, which is sad. And I did tell them, I'm like, I hope you keep trying to talk to him. But, to, you know, it's been years now. It's been, gosh, five years maybe since they did that. He's, he's fine. He's still, he's still an alcoholic, but he, he, he has somewhere to live. He, you know, he figured it out. He did. He figured it out. And, you know, he wasn't really talking to them much anyway. And I said, you know, this is the loving detachment is to accept that this is the choice he made. You know, his brain is hijacked. I get that. He's an addict. And there are places where there are choices. And um, there just are, you know, it's, it's, it's with mental illness too, you know, when, when you're working so hard and the other person's not working hard at all, that's that codependency I've talked about before. And you really have to, at some point, accept that this is what it is and, but keep giving love. You know, when people are going to get help, it's not because they feel like you hate them and you've abandoned them. It's going to be because they feel like they have people that love them and care for them and, and that there's help close by. So you want to, and so I have, and I've encouraged, you know, both of them to, uh, keep reaching out to the brother, let him know you love him and just be there. That's all, that's what you can do at that point. If you know, that's what you can do. And this might sound horrible to you. You might think I could never do that. You know, I, I'm just telling you what in my 35 years, I have yet to have that person, you know, the person on the other end. And so, and I deal with people who are in trouble, right? So everyone was coming to me in some way. And I've worked in drug rehabs for, I can't tell you how many years and mental hospitals from Bellevue to, you know, top of the line to the bottom of the line. And I will tell you that I've never ever had anyone actually kill themselves or actually, you know, end up, you know, in some situation, you know, that, Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Couldn't be you know, that then they couldn't finally help them. And people have ended up in jail briefly. That has happened. You know, things that you think, but you know what? Maybe this person needs jail to finally change their life. I don't know. You're deciding you know. You're deciding you know what's best for them. And at some point, you have to stop. You have to pull back and decide that you don't know what's best for them. And again, really, but I'm not just, but I don't want you to pull back and not speak to them. I want you to pull back again with love to truly accept where they are. Again, doesn't mean you don't work on it. Doesn't mean you don't show love. Doesn't mean that you don't ask them questions about how they're doing. It means that you pull back some. And it's, you got to get past uh, what's fair, what you think is fair or right. That often gets people really hung up. And so I always, you know, my old, do you want to be correct or effective? It, effective to me and a lot of times is for me to just be at peace, for me to feel like I've done all I can do. I have to step back and just give love to this person. And if I can be peace, at peace on the other side and not try to control everybody around me, then that's a good day for me. So, and I want to remind you, you can have peace no matter what other people are doing. I know it sounds impossible, but it's very, very true. And again, it comes from these steps. It comes from loving detachment. It's not doesn't happen overnight. And it, I'm not saying I don't have moments of upset and all that good stuff. But overall, I have something I can come back to. And there's a great, um, I've shared this before, there's a great loving detachment exercise by uh, Martha Beck, who's kind of like the queen of loving detachment. And she, it's this little exercise where she says, you know, you think of someone you love who's you feel is causing you to feel worry or, you know, when you think about them, you're worried, you feel anxious, you're angry, you're sad, you're resentful, something like that. So you think of that person and then you identify what that person should do to make you happy. And you use this sentence, if only, I'll, I'll use it here, if only blank, or if blank would only blank, then I could feel blank. So I'll use it with this situation with the um, this mom and her kids. If only my daughter... Uh, would li- if, if my daughter would only listen to me, then I could feel happy and stop worrying. <laughs> and I could do that with Max. If only Max would listen <laughs> to what I'm trying to tell him. If only Max would, you know, if Max would only work harder at school, then I could feel uh, happy and stop worrying, right? And the what you do is you delete the first part of the sentence. So it reads, I could feel. So you just say, I could feel happy and stop worrying. And that's the truth of it. That's the actual facts. Not, not, it's not dependent on the other person doing anything. Uh, so learning how, you know, to accept how and who people are, not constantly pushing them to be who and how you want them to be is really at the center, I think, of loving detachment. So uh, you know, your friend might be making a bad decision staying with her boyfriend, but it's her life and her decision, right? You can you can voice an opinion if she asks, but otherwise it's about supporting her in, in ways you can and stepping back from what you can't. Um, and I've talked a lot about unconditional love versus unconditional acceptance and people only truly feel loved if they truly feel accepted for who they are. And again, I did a fabulous little um, YouTube video on that, which I'll link to <laughs> on my uh, podcast page abbymetcalf.com forward slash podcast. You can come to this show. This is episode 139, Loving Detachment. Um, and, or you can find it on my YouTube. Uh, but uh, there you go. All right. And then step three, now we're getting to the meat and we're almost done. And this is, oh, and my tip really for number two, for the acceptance is to do a loving kindness meditation. I have one on YouTube. I have one I've linked to in the show notes before. I'll link to it again. It's 10 minutes of your time. I highly recommend you do it. A loving kindness meditation will absolutely positively help you accept the people around you for who they are 
and help you be at peace with yourself and them. Okay, so learning, learn what having loving boundaries really means is at the center of your step three. And let me talk about it. Let me give it to you. Okay, so sit up, woo, shake it out, right? We've been talking for a minute here. I always say I'm gonna be quick and I'm not, I apologize. Okay, so this is the meat. And I talk, so I'm going to talk about boundaries this way. I want you to think of them on a continuum. And again, this is, um, you know, so they're on a continuum. On one side, you have thin boundaries. This is what we call enmeshed when people are too close, too into each other's stuff, too wrapped up in, this is like kind of the height of codependency over there, but it's really that enmeshed boundaries where there, you don't know where you stop and the other person begins and, you know, that kind of thing. And then on the way on the other end of the continuum, there's like a long line, picture a line in front of you. Um, you don't have to be a long line. Let's, let's picture a ruler in front of you. Okay. Just picture a 12 inch ruler in front of you. We're in America. We have 12 inches over here. Uh, <laughs> we never went metric. I know it's crazy. So, <laughs> so picture a foot or your, you know, whatever your equivalent is. Okay. And on one end, way over here near the zero, you've got those enmeshed thin boundaries. And on the other end, you have your thick boundaries and, uh, your thick boundaries are really where, um, there's, they're detached. You're detached from the person around you. Okay. So, and as you, so you're hearing, oh, detachment, that's good, right, Abby? No, being, this is emotionally detached. I don't want you to be emotionally detached from the people in your life. So that's what that is. And I I would say in a very simple way, if you called your dad, sir, if you were that formal, that's a very thick boundary, okay? That's a thick, sort of emotionally distant boundary with your dad, if you're calling him, sir. Um, I'm judging it. I'm just saying what I think. And then on the other end, if you called your dad, your you know, if you call your dad your very best friend that, and you tell him about your sex life and all the problems with your husband and all the problems with your life and you go to him first and you, I would call that pretty enmeshed. Okay. So, and I would call those boundaries too thin. So do you see, see where I'm at here? Okay. And loving detachment is all about knowing you know, really, so where you are in the continuum between the two, and it's really always about leaning in. So if you're way on the thick side, you know, you want to lean in, you want to lean towards being more connected. And if you're on the thins and mesh side, you want to lean towards having a little bit of a thicker boundary. Do you see what this is? That's why it's not so black and white. That's why this is not tough love. It's about leaning away from this, or leaning in, I don't want to lean away, leaning in and towards this healthier, loving detachment. So there's a little detachment, but there's a little love. (laughs) You got both going on. Um, And there's, again, there's no exact right spot to be, right? Loving boundaries are flexible to a point. And let's, we're going to talk about that because people often hate this part. They're like, no, they can't be flexible uh, because folks get lost in that. But I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be afraid of your emotions or your boundaries. This is a practice. This is a skill. And like any other skill, you get better as you do it. So don't expect to be perfect at this. You will not be. I'm not perfect at it. And I've been doing it for friggin' years. You, you know, you just, get aware and keep working on it. Okay. So, and loving detachment really means these boundaries are about loving yourself. This means you don't hate yourself. You don't think you're a lousy parent or a lousy friend. You don't have low self-esteem. You've got good self-esteem. You you don't, you know, talk shit to yourself, tell yourself what a piece of crap you are because you made that bad decision 10 years ago. This is about, it's about love of yourself and other people and obviously the people around you. It's about being very present and in the moment with your emotions so you know what's coming up for you. So this is, we're getting back to that steps one and two, right? And so the thin, those thin mesh boundaries, either end of the spectrum is fear-based, okay? Either end. Those thin and mesh boundaries are fear-based, right? They are really grounded in a loss of self. Where do I begin and the other person begin? You know, where do I end and the other person begins? Um, and low self-esteem, as I, as I already talked about. And again, big time codependency living here. Um, I'm all about you, my relationship to you, how you're doing, what you're, you know, that thick, those thick detached boundaries on the other end of the ruler are also fear-based. And on this side, you're often 
withholding your love and affection, you're literally, this is the side of abandonment. You're abandoning the other person emotionally and sometimes physically, but definitely emotionally. That's that distance. You're saying to them, I, I'm not connected to you emotionally. Uh, and what happens a lot that I see is that um, people, some so either side, sometimes in people who are on the enmeshed side, the thin boundary side, when they're trying to control others and they don't do what they want, they jump to the to the other side, to that thick detached boundary. Um, you know, if you're not doing what I like, uh, then I'm not gonna be nice to you. I'm gonna abandon you. I'm gonna disengage. I'm not gonna talk to you. I, I'm you're I'm gonna withhold my love. I see that a lot. And that's a problem. And that really lets you know how fear-based both are. Neither is secure. Um, the What happens in those thick boundaries is when you can't control someone else, um, you stop trying. You give up. You become, dis, again, disengaged. So uh, again, not these are, it's mean. It's not nice. It's mean. But again, it often looks like those thin boundaries are nice and they're not nice. They're mean too. That enmeshed thing is mean also because again, you are holding the other person hostage in a way to your emotions and to what they're doing, to how, if they're giving the love back, if they're always there for you, if they're always responding, you're again, or you usually abandon them. So either side, there's no nice side. And, and it drives me a little crazy because they're both controlling and manipulative in a different way. And they're both kind of mean. They're not caring. You're not really putting the other person first. You're putting your own needs first, your own needs for distance, your own needs for self out for validation, whatever it is. And again, I'm saying that with love. This isn't about judging yourself right now. This is about being honest and looking at yourself and having a good self-evaluation. And really, and if you're in your head right now going, I'm not selfish. I love, I'm all for these other people. I would like you to just stop and, and listen like you're wrong right now. Listen like if what I'm saying is actually true, what would that mean for you? What could you change? And if you're listening right now, it means that you're not happy with the way things are going in certain relationships and you want to change it. So I have faith in you. Just, you know, really allow this information in and make your decision from it being in, not from, you know, not from it being outside. And so because so switching sides, you know, if you get angry and resentful, if people aren't acting right, again, not good. So loving detachment is about engaging with boundaries. That's what it is. So it's, I'm going to say it again. Loving detachment is about engagement, emotional engagement, but with boundaries, with clarity. And that's where that lives. That lives right there in the middle. So, and here is the real um, meat of it. And, and this will blow your mind, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> it blew mine as I was talking to Stephanie, as I mentioned earlier. Loving detachment, it's not based on how I feel about you. It's about how I feel about me in relation to you. So in other words, what I do, the boundary I draw, isn't based on how I feel in a moment. If I'm angry, it doesn't change my boundary with you. If I'm if I'm pleased, if you're if you're doing what I like, it doesn't change my boundary with you either. Boundaries aren't about feelings in a moment. I know that's a bumper sticker, baby. Right there, gold. I'm giving you gold, platinum. And this, and I, I hadn't really ever thought about it in these words, but this is exactly what it is. When when Stephanie said these words to me in this way, I I thought, ugh, there's the there's the words. So if you notice that you're changing how you act towards someone or the things you'll do for them or not do for them, again, your boundaries with them from, or, you know, or if they do the things you like, then you relax your boundaries, right? Oh, I can be nicer now. I can be whatever now. No, no. Boundaries should stay the same no matter what they're doing. And that's how you know you're in a healthy place. Okay. So they're not about your feelings in a moment. You establish them, you keep them no matter what else you're feeling. And same thing if you're, if you're angry, you don't stop being loving, you know, because you're angry, you, you, you hang in there. So you can, I mean, it's remembering that you can feel compassion for someone else without having to act on it. You can be there for another person without taking any action or saying anything. That for me was always a revelation. So, and, and sometimes the best help you can be is just being, you know, supportive. 
in silence, just shutting up. You know, asking questions to help the other person clarify what's going on, you know, and so they can create healthy solutions, not fixing other people, not, you know, don't sack, remember, don't offer suggestions, give advice or criticize. So let them find their way, right? When you, when you do something for someone else that they could do for themselves, you're not helping them, you're hindering them. That's the bottom line. And you don't even know if they could do it for themselves because you can't read their mind. I, I see you. Well, I'm doing it because they don't know and they don't know. No, they'll figure it out. Give them some room and give them some room. <laughs> uh, we, allowing other people to face natural consequences is an important part of being in a healthy relationship. It's an important part of allowing them their growth, allowing them to see their life it, for what it truly is, not what you're trying to make it be for them or for yourself. So, and the tip I'm going to give and we're going to end is that you work on your calibration. You work on being the dominant vibration of the room. You don't, you know, your, your, the, your, your husband doesn't come home in a bad mood. You know, you're in a good mood at home and your husband comes home in a bad mood and you get in a bad mood. Nope. That's not how it works. You know, you, you are where you are, regardless of what people bring at you or to you. And you, you, you just have to remember, you can be happy no matter what other people do. So, and Really, it's about following these three steps and relaxing into the relationship. Relax, stop with the anxiety and the worry. You want to find real peace and satisfaction right where you are. That's the goal. Woo! That was a lot. That was loving detachment, my friends. I know I had a lot coming at you. Don't forget to come to the website, abbymetcalf.com forward slash podcast. This is episode 139, Loving Detachment. You can, and that's where you'll find the show notes, the notes I write up about it. There's also always a blog post on the blog post page if you want to read through, you know, more, but you can get to all the links and all the things uh, right there from the show notes page. So I love you. I know this is hard stuff. I really appreciate you sticking with me. And uh, I'm going to move on now to talk about uh, kind of this parenting teens question. So uh, if you're done and don't want to hear about that, uh, have an amazing week and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, you're still here. Hello. Hi. Nice to see you. Nice to, <laughs> nice to be with you. Okay, I feel like we're, I feel like we're huddled now in this small little, small little uh, place. So I just want to give some information about, so the, the question, I had a few of these actually, where some of them are about, you know, kids who are smoking pot, teenagers smoking pot. And I've had this issue with my kids trying pot or alcohol um, and really about their anxiety, you know, depression and anxiety or mental health issues with kids, with teens. And because they seem very stressed, I know, and they can seem very depressed. And I just want to lay out a few things and then give a few quick tips, Okay. All of it from the research as always. So the I need you to hear first that the teen brain is very, very different than an adult brain. It really, really is. How it's built, what it does, where it's at. Uh, teens are not, we call them young adults, but they really aren't. Your brain isn't fully developed till your mid to late 20s. And the parts of your brain that are developing are very, very important <laughs> that happen in your teen years. And they're really the ones that kind of make us a, a, a rational together human. And so because those aren't developed, you can't expect your teenager, no matter how mature they seem or anything else, to act like an adult. Because it's like they can't. They just don't have the hard wiring. There's a wonderful book um, by Frances Jensen called The Teenage Brain. Uh, and she's at, I think she's at, you pen, you have pen now, but she was at Harvard for years. Anyway, it's a wonderful book. It came out a few years ago, The Teenage Brain, if you want to do that. Um, <clears throat> but let me give you just a few pieces I want you to really hear. So the our frontal lobe, the parts of our brain, our frontal lobes, our cerebellum, and our hippocampus, they develop the slowest. And they're the most sensitive to drugs and alcohol. Let me, so I'm going to start with some drugs and alcohol stuff. Um, alcohol and drugs hit teen brains harder. There's more receptors in the teen brain to bind to. Teen brains are built for learning. That's what our young brains are built for. So, and, and using drugs is a form of learning. You, you learning something. It's like if they play video games nonstop or anything else, anything you direct a lot of your attention to, uh, you're going to learn. And so you really want to 
keep that in mind. And their frontal lobe where all their good thinking, you know, your prefrontal cortex lives there. So all your rationality, your problem solving, your long-term planning, all that good crap, that's not fully connected. (laughs) Their frontal lobes are literally not fully connected. So it takes a longer time to access any healthy information or make informed decisions. They're, um, their brain is more sluggish in, is really what it is. And so, and thinking about other people requires insight, which requires fully connected frontal lobes. So that, so your teen is not actually a sociopath. <laughs> they may seem very selfish and very full of themselves and, but they're, they're not a sociopath. So I just want to say that. So overall, there's really no amount of drugs or alcohol that is safe for a teen brain. And we know that the longer, uh, until a first drug or drink, the first sip, the first try, the better your chances are of your child not becoming addicted to something. And yes, they can become addicted to pot. So, um, so I just, for me, I'm just always, I know that the, my kids will, you know, drink or do drugs later, I guess, or whatever. Um, but my job is to keep that as far away from them as possible. And that is where I get pretty controlling and very black and white. Um, I'm all over that stuff. Uh, you know, I feel like most of parenting, here, here's what parenting is, I think. It's allowing our kids enough rope to take risks and to learn, but keeping them from making a decision that will have long-term negative consequences, right? So yeah, I don't want my daughter at 50, you know, she's going to be 15 next month to get pregnant because that's going to be a long-term negative consequence as far as I'm concerned. And that's a judgment, but it is, that's what I believe. And I don't want her to have that. So I'm going to really go deep and hard on the things that it doesn't mean I don't let her out of the house. And it doesn't mean I, you know, I don't, when I say deep and hard, I'm talking about asking questions, educating, making sure we have a close relationship, making sure there's a place to talk, making sure that there's birth control available, making sure, you know, the, I'm talking about that. I'm not talking about getting draconian and not letting my kid out of the house at all. Um, because again, I'm, I want her to risk, to take risks and to do things. Uh, I want both of them to do that. So really what a lot of, and, and our teens are very stressed. There's a lot going on. I am so grateful that I didn't have social media growing up. You know, if I broke up with somebody, I never had to see them again. That was it. Never had to see them again. Unless, unless it was, I broke up with somebody who was in my class or something. <laughs> but in general, you know, back in the day, I'm, I'm old, you know, I, I, we didn't have to worry about this stuff. And I didn't have to worry about my impulsivity. I didn't have, you know, if I could have uh, taken a picture of myself naked and sent it to a guy, I might have done that. I don't know what I would have done in my crazy state. I'm grateful that no one could see half the crap I did. You know, no one was filming uh, when I was a teenager. I mean, it's nuts, right? There's just this way. And in some ways, um, that, that it, it, it's creating more stress. You know, it's, we know that our teens are more stressed today. They have so much on their plates. And so there's a lot of things you can do though, to, um, help, to help your kids, no matter whether or not they have a, uh, you know, problem or not, or you're seeing a problem, but anything, you know, if you want to extend the communication with your kids, there's some things you really need to do. And if you want to help them with their stress level, there's some things you absolutely positively can do. And so number one is, so don't deny or dismiss your kids' fear or distress. If they're freaking out about a math test, you know, don't go, oh, it's okay. Don't worry. You did fine last time. Don't do that. Stop that. What you want to do is this is the um, say yes first tool I've talked a lot about, but basically they think a tiger is about to eat them. That's what their brain is doing. So you don't want to say, don't worry about the tiger, but you don't want to escalate either. You don't want to escalate it. So you don't want to go, oh my God, a math test. That's horrible. Ah!" You know, you don't want to do that either, but you do want to show empathy. You do want to, uh, again, match emotion, but that's, that's showing empathy, but not tone. So you might say, oh God, another math test. That's a, that's a lot. There you go. You showed empathy. You validated their emotion. You might say, oh, I'm so sorry, God. I feel like you have so many tests this week. Um, oh, I can, oh, I'm, I can feel the, oh, the stress of that, you know, that you have to, uh, give a, you have your debate team has to, you know, you have to get up in front of 50 people and talk, whatever, whatever they're saying, do not do the parent thing of it's going to be okay to them. It's not. And when you do that, they think, uh, they don't, they think you're crazy and they stop listening to you. 
because they know it's not going to be okay. I They're exaggerating. I know it's going to be okay, maybe ultimately, hopefully, but in their heads, it's not. And when you say it is, when you give those, you know, it's okay, you've done this before, you're going to be all right, don't worry about it. Forget it. It does just, and you know it does the opposite because you're watching them escalate in front of you. So stop it. Stop it. <laughs> so you want to show the empathy. You want to match emotion, but not tone. You want to say yes to the emotion. It doesn't mean you agree that they should have it. You know, you do, maybe you think they're overreacting, but it, you are accepting them. We just learned about acceptance. You have to accept that this is where they are right now. This is where their brain development is. And you just have to be there. You just have to be there. So, but in the same way, don't get trapped in their bad mood. If they're in a bad mood or they're depressed, don't get trapped in that. Uh, you want to, you really want to, approach all situations with your kid with a reassuring and optimistic sense that something can be done. That's what you're trying to approach them with. And again, that doesn't mean like, it's going to be okay, we're great, but you need to have that, you know, first that empathy, and then you can come with the problem solving. And you, again, should not be sacking, no suggestions, offering advice or criticizing. You got to ask them questions. You have to, but you have to uh, connect first emotionally. What do we always say? What do I always say? You have to connect to correct. So you have to connect first emotionally before you go there. Um, Really think about really think about their emotional life. Okay. So, and their ability to do something, to be there. And so what you want to do is also, this is the uh, Carol Dweck's work on growth and fixed mindset. Um, Mindset, by the way, to me, the only parenting book anyone ever needs. Um, Such a good book by Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. And, uh, it, she taught, her research is impeccable, but basically when you, uh, give, when you talk to kids in a way that you tell them that they're, you're smart, you're pretty, you're this, you're talented, you're athletic. Um, they see that as a trait. And then when they have a hard time at school, let's say if you always told them they're smart and then they're having a hard time at school, it, it doesn't give them any room to do anything. Well, if I'm smart, I'm having a hard time, then I'm just going to quit because I can't figure it out. So either I'm not smart, which I don't like to hear, or I'm just going to not play. I'm just going to not do this. And instead you want to praise them for effort, not for traits. So you want to, you know, Hey, you, Oh, you got an A. You worked really hard for that. I saw you studying. You, you really put in a lot of work. Good for you. Or if they got a B, but they were RC and they worked really hard. Same thing. Wow. You know, I know you didn't get a great grade yet. Yet is your, is your, is the best word for teenagers. It's the best word for people. I know you haven't gotten, you managed to get a good grade in math yet, but I'm watching you work hard and that's really what it's about. That'll get you there. When kids believe, and when anybody believes it's their effort that's going to get them from A to B, then they're going to put an effort when they, because, and you, we all know that if they put an effort, they will see some, something will happen. Something will shift. If, if nothing else a teacher will see their effort and give them a better grade because of that. That happens all the time. So no matter what, using that word yet, you don't have this yet. You haven't gotten there yet. It lets them know they can get there. That's that optimistic and uh, sense. That's what I'm talking about there. And it lets them know you're on their team and you're behind them. And it lets them know you can be part of problem solving if they want, right? If they want. The other things I want, so really focusing on that growth mindset, the um, effort, the, that they have always have the ability. It's just not here yet. And getting away from you're smart, you're, you know, you're smart, you'll do fine. Forget it. That's you're, you're using a fixed mindset and you're dismissing. So you can't, that's not what we can do. Okay. The other things I want to just encourage strongly that I don't think parents think enough about are allowing plenty of time. Being too busy is one of the biggest sources of stress reported by teens, that their parents are always, quote unquote, always rushing them. This is uh, a lot of the work from, um, oh, I'm going to forget her name, Andrea uh, Galvan. I'm really hoping that's her name, at UCLA. She does a lot of work on stressing kids. And one of the primary things they found was that they feel very rushed by us. I really need you to think through if they have to be in 15 activities. I really need you to think through if... um, you know, they also need to, I don't know, 
be, be be the best at whatever, you know, do they have to take a language and two sports and a hobby, even if your kid is asking for it, even if they say they want all that, it's very important to really let them know that their worth is also in sitting around, that their worth is also in just being just them. It's not in just what they do. So no matter what though, allow plenty of time. If it takes 10 minutes to drive to school, don't leave in 10 minutes. Give yourself 15 or 20 minutes. Get, you know, don't do that one last thing before you leave. I wake up very early in the morning and get all my stuff done. And this is pre-COVID. COVID's a little different right now because the kids are homeschooling, but um, I, because I still come to work, but I have been doing it for years where I get up, I do my exercise, I meditate, I do all my things. I shower, I put on my makeup, my clothing, everything is done down to my jewelry. The only thing I don't have on probably is my shoes. And then I go wake up my children. So I'm not yelling, hey, go, we got to go. Okay, come in here. Okay, we'll cook breakfast. Let's do that. No. <laughs> and I generally wake them up slowly. I might rub their back. I, you know, it's a really good time to kiss teenagers. They, they're helpless. Um, it's a good time to snuggle a little if they'll let you. Um, it's a good time just to hang out. I did this from the time they were pretty young. We used to have snuggle time on the couch when I woke them up. So I'd wake them up. The dogs would come over, you know, we'd have snuggle time on the couch and we'd just hang out because I'd wake them up earlier than they needed to because that 15 minutes is much better spent like that than letting them sleep the 15 minutes and racing around like crazy people. So really think about that and think about that just in general in your own life for your own. And that's the other thing you can be doing is taking care of your mental health so that your stress, your anxiety isn't getting taken out on your kids and that you're very aware of what you're doing. Um, exercise is huge. It eats up those stress hormones that kids have flying around. They really need to be doing hard physical exercise. Um, we, we always joke in my house to ride them hard and put them away wet, um, <laughs> you know, with kids, if it's going to help them, their neurotransmitters reset, it's going to help them sleep better at night. It's going to, it's going to help on a thousand different levels, it keeps their hormones more stabilized. It burns off stress hormone. It helps them think better. It goes on and friggin' on. So make sure that that your kids are really doing something. Uh, and if you have to do it with them, that's fine, but make sure. The other thing I'm going to say is, and then I'm going to kind of close out, but really make sure that your kids are on a regular sleep cycle. Teenagers uh, need 9.25 hours, nine and a quarter hours of sleep per night um, is optimal. Um, according to all the research. So the closest you can get to that is what you want. If you can go over that, great. But what you want to do is set up a sleep schedule that does that where it's the same every day, even on the weekends. And on the weekends, what you want to do is only allow, you can go up to two hours either way and still stay within the sleep cycle. Um, so if your kids normally wake up at seven, they can sleep till nine on the weekends, but don't have them sleeping till noon. That totally throws off their sleep cycle again. And they get into, they can't sleep then Sunday night to go to school on Monday. And then Monday's bad and they're exhausted and they can't, you know, and they're burnt. And then they're sometimes overtired and can't fall asleep. It's not good for them. It's really not. And, you know, these are the years that we have to, you know, try to control them a little more. So try. I understand kids have a lot of homework late, you know, that takes them late into the night sometimes. I get all that. You know, maybe they have a sport after school and the homework. You're going to have to figure these things out. But you cannot make up all the sleep debt on the weekend end anyway. So you, you've got to figure it out. How are they going to get their sleep? Do they have to take a nap? Like, what do you have to do to make that happen? What can happen in the course of their day? Can their school schedule change somewhat? What can it be so that they can get done what they need to get done, but still get adequate sleep? And I've had kids who parents thought had a mental health issue, literally, literally. And it was finally realized that the kids weren't sleep. The kid wasn't sleeping. Of course, you look like you have a mental health issue. You look depressed. You look like you're on drugs. You look like a lot of things if you're not sleeping. You can't focus in school. They thought he had ADHD. It went on and on. And they finally figured out he wasn't sleeping. He was up all night. He had his devices in his room and it was bad. So, and I will say that, try not to have, you know, don't have electronics in kids' rooms. Certainly don't have them in there overnight. It's like having a plate of brownies in your room all night. You know, it's impossible to say no to. So really, uh, you know, think of limiting that. All right. So that's it. Those are my little tips for this. If you have a more specific question or something else you want answered, as I've mentioned, or if I didn't answer what you wanted, 
um, write in with something more specific and I am happy to get to it next time. I love you. You're a great parent. Do not doubt yourself. You're doing it. You're listening here. So I know you're doing the work. All right. Have a great week and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with wonderful me, Dr. Abby Metcalf. And I've got two quick things to say. Just give me one more minute. First, I love spending this time with you and I work hard to make sure every single episode is going to help you move from any feelings of frustration or resentment or anxiety to that connected, hopeful, confident. That's always my goal. So if you have any ideas for a future episode or just want to say hi, let me know what the podcast is doing for you. Anything. You can email me at abby at abbymedcalf.com. How simple is that? And the second thing I want to say is if you like the podcast, you're going to go crazy, crazy for my book. My book is really good. I'm really proud of it. You can find it on Amazon or on my website under the shop section on my website at abbymetcalf.com. It's called Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing. And even if your partner will do a thing, the book will still really help you. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Kristen. And this is Jen from My Mom So Hard. And we're here to talk about By Heart. Do you remember when you were nursing and you were like, I want to give the best thing I can to my baby? Well, we've got that for you. It's called By Heart. And it is a infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code MOMS20 for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Tell them my mom so hard sent you.